Welcome to Quick Crime, 15-minute podcasts that focus on the intriguing details of a crime. Today's episode is on the murders of Teralpi, Andre, Akai, and Bevan Frost. Warning, the following podcast contains disturbing details of a crime. Listener discretion is advised. The details presented in this podcast are from a news.com.au article. September 2001 Two New South Wales police officers investigating a possible murder knocked on a door at the Northcott apartment block in the inner city Sydney suburb of Surrey Hills. The police officers were in Block A, one of four grimy red brick high-rises known as the Suicide Towers, a name given to them after several residents jumped from one of the 14 stories to their death. Police were familiar with this infamous address, for its drug dealings, vandalism and fights among 1,200 people housed in the 436 flats. The police were investigating the possible murder of Teralpi Andre Akai, a 50-year-old Northcott resident who had vanished from sight only months earlier. This particular day in September would be remembered by the world, not for the discovery about to be made, but instead for the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center, New York. It was September 11. The Northcott Flats, which shared the neighbourhood with million-dollar houses, were considered a dumping ground for psychiatric patients, chronic alcoholics, prison parolees, and cash-poor HIV sufferers. Andre Akai was one of the latter, and his condition had advanced to full-blown AIDS. Akai had not been seen since January or February, around the ninth floor flat that he'd shared in Northcott's B block. He had left behind his beloved Alsatian, Raja. Police had not learned about his possible disappearance until August 29th, 2001, after a conversation with a neighbor, Gillian Nash, who relayed her concerns about Akai's whereabouts. Detectives obtained a search warrant for Akai's flat, which they found had been ransacked. Around the flat were bloodstains and smears, and an external window frame was shattered. Forensic officers spent eight hours taking samples, including a square of carpet and residue from the toilet. They questioned other residents, who said they hadn't seen Akai for some time. One described Akai as bad-tempered and jealous, and another Northcott resident had taken out a restraining order against the missing man. Akai's disability pension was still active, and a check on his bank account revealed six withdrawals totaling $1,650 had been made between June and August. Detectives studied video footage of the ATMs where the withdrawals were made, and were able to identify a man. On August 30, police took a 32-year-old Damien Anthony Peters in for questioning.
Peters was an unemployed drug addict, around 6 foot, 182 centimetres tall, fit looking with large muscular arms from his massive use of steroids. He had a minor record, ranging from drug possession through to break, enter and stealing charges. In 1998, he received his first prison sentence for four months after breaking into a pharmacy and stealing Rohypnol tablets. In December 1998, he was fined $1,000 for assault occasioning actual bodily harm. Peters had been released from prison to Odyssey House Drug Rehabilitation Centre and had met Akai at the Langton Clinic Halfway House. Since then, Peters and Akai had been in a relationship for around three years. Peters admitted to withdrawing Akai's money from an ATM, but said Akai had given him his bank card under a gentleman's agreement that he look after the flat, their dog, and pay the rent and electricity. Peters told the police the agreement had been made six months earlier when Akai said he was going away so that he could get a break from life in the Northcott Flats. He also said that he had turned Akai's flat upside down because he was upset at Akai's extended absence and had cut his hand breaking the window. The blood in the flat, he said, was his blood. He blamed Akai for infecting him with HIV, which he had not admitted to having until he was seriously ill and had to be nursed by Peters, who complained he got no thanks for doing so. During the police interview, Peters revealed he was now living in another Northcott flat with his best friend, Bevan Frost. Police charged Peters with obtaining money by deception, and he was released on bail. Between September 5th and 7th, a listening device installed on the phone at Gillian Nash's apartment recorded a conversation between her and Peters. While suspicious as to what led to him being interviewed by police, Peters thanked Ms Nash for sticking up for him. At one point, he admitted to having killed Akai and expressed concern that the police would arrest and charge him. On September 7, detectives knocked on the door of Unit 3 in A Block, rented by Bevan James Frost. However, Frost had refused to let them in. They returned on September 11 and were admitted by Damien Peters into the flat, which appeared to have been ransacked. What the officers didn't realise was the man standing in front of them was on a massive, potentially lethal cocktail of drugs. Apart from smoking cannabis, taking amphetamines, cocaine, heroin and methadone, Peters had also been on prescribed Prozac and testosterone. He was also taking anxiety drugs such as Valium and other types of anxiety medication. Police told Peters he was under arrest for the murder of Teralpi Akai and began to search the ransacked premises. Blood was smeared on the carpet and walls of the bedroom. A pattern of blood on the mattress formed the outline of an upper torso. In the bathroom, the officers found a decapitated and eviscerated body in the bathtub. Inside a bag that was also in the bath was a severed head. The police did not think the body could have been Akai's. 
a dazed and agitated Peters, admitted to the police that the dismembered body was that of Bevan Frost, who he had killed two days earlier after a fight. Peters pointed them to the carpet near the entrance door, where the officers found a 32 centimeter blood-stained carving knife. The officers arrested Peters and took him to Surrey Hills Police Station, which was only a short drive away. While being interviewed by police, Peters admitted he had killed Akai eight months earlier. He claimed Akai had conned him into sleeping with him and infected him with HIV. Peters claimed Akai was violent, moody, abusive and belittling, and one day in January or February, he called him stupid. Peters admitted he was revved up. Peters said he went into the kitchen and grabbed a knife. He stabbed Akai twice in the neck while he was sitting on the lounge. Then he placed Akai's body on the floor of the bathroom and spent the next six hours removing his organs and flushing them down the toilet, along with the teeth to prevent identification. And for the same reason, he also burnt off the hair with peroxide and chemicals. Over successive days, he had cut the body up with a hacksaw and disposed of various parts concealed in plastic bags or suitcases and into garbage bins over several weeks. Peters then begun collecting Akai's pension by using his bank card until it was reported stolen in August. He had then taken his neighbour Miss Nash into his confidence, telling her he had killed Akai and why, and asking her to go into the bank on his behalf. He wanted her to take a letter with Akai's name on it, saying that she had been asked to collect the rest of his money because the card had been lost and cancelled. Detectives moved on to the discovery of Bevan Frost's body. Bevan Frost, 57, was frail and no match for a muscular Peters, but the younger man claimed Frost was armed with a switchblade and hammer. Peters said after killing Akai, he had not slept for nine days and had decided to kill himself. He sold the stereo and television, bought more drugs and sat around in a daze. As he continued to dispose of Akai's body parts, he cleaned the bloody carpets of the flat with bleach. Although bitter about Akai having given him HIV as well as gonorrhea, he had loved Akai and was shocked at what he had done. When finally coming to his senses, he felt remorse. For the next six months, he had just existed and claimed to have several nervous collapses, during which he had trashed the flat. When police questioned and charged him over the withdrawing of Akai's pension money, he had returned to Northcott to find the locks had changed on Akai's flat. This forced him to move in with Frost, who he had known for several years. In return, Peters had submitted himself to sex with Frost, who he claimed was very rough, and subdued him with muscle relaxant Delantin and violated him. Peters told police that he had been extremely drugged, depressed, and lost his reasoning when he stabbed Frost, who was lying on his stomach expecting a massage. Peters told them that he had taken 60 Delantin tablets and then stabbed Frost in the back, chin, and neck. 
Over the next two days, he had partially disemboweled Frost's body, flushing the internal organs down the toilet, leaving only the torso and head. This was when police had knocked on the door. Peters appeared before Central Local Court on September 12, 2001, and later pled guilty to the murders. He claimed the equivalent of so-called battered wife syndrome, and said he was not a violent man. His barrister, Kate Trail, who has since become a district court judge, said he should not be given a life sentence for the murders, because he already has a reduced lifespan with HIV. Teralpi Akai's remains were never fully recovered. Three psychiatrists assessed Peters prior to his sentencing. One suggested he had a dysfunctional childhood, as the fourth child to his high-achieving father, a pharmacist who had dealt with him harshly when he failed to live up to his expectations. Peters had difficulties at school and attention deficit disorder. His adult relationships had been with controlling men. But Justice James Wood of the New South Wales Supreme Court accepted pleas of guilty to murder rather than manslaughter. He ruled that Peters had dismembered the victims' bodies in a deliberate and cold-blooded way. His actions attempting to clean Akai's flat, destroying dental or fingerprint remains, accessing Akai's pension money, and carrying on a charade were very callous. These were the actions of a man cerebrating relatively clearly, despite his continuing abuse of drugs. They also speak of a man lacking, at the time, in much, if any, in the way of remorse or insight into what he had done. However, I accept Peters was provoked, to a degree, by a pattern of physical and mental abuse, by sexual manipulation or abuse. He sentenced Peters to a maximum 21 years in prison, dating from September 11, 2001, with a non-parole period of 13 years expiring in 2014. Peters was released from jail in November 2016, with six years on parole until the expiration of his head sentence in September 2022. One of his parole conditions was to wear a satellite tracking anklet. On Sunday the 7th of April 2019, while attending the Prince of Wales Hospital in Ranwick, Peters cut off his anklet and fled around 4.15 in the afternoon. At 10.20 that night, New South Wales Police released the description and a photograph of Peters, and urged people not to approach him but instead to alert police or crime stoppers. Just before 5pm on the following Monday, detectives spotted Peters walking along King Street. Police from Surrey Hills and Redfern Region Enforcement Squads, Operation Odin and the Dog Unit moved in and arrested him without incident. Peters, still a heavily muscled man in his middle age, was taken to Newtown Police Station. He was returned to Corrective Services custody and is back in prison 
serving all or part of the remainder of his sentence for breaching his parole. You have been listening to Quick Crime. Don't forget to subscribe or follow for future episodes. The information presented in this podcast is a summary only. Details can be found by listening or watching the original content at its provider, which is mentioned at the start of this podcast. (laughs) 